You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to our Sunday gathering. My name is Josh, one of the elders here at Redeemer, and we're so glad that you're here. Before we get rolling, I want to remind you of a few things coming up in our Advent schedule. First is that next Saturday at 4 p.m., we're having our Christmas Eve uh, gathering. It's going to be a great time if you're in town to come and worship and set our hearts on the true meaning of Christmas. And a quick reminder also that we will not gather on Sunday, the 25th. Uh, Every year since we've planted as a church, we take what we call a Sabbath Sunday, where we encourage you to worship and rest with your families. We want our volunteers and everyone just to have a time to get kind of rested up before the start of the new year. And so we've actually prepared a guide for you to kind of guide that Sunday uh, with your family or with your extended family, wherever you're at. You can pick those up in the foyer uh, on your way out, and we'd love to uh, just have you rest and focus on Christ. And then we'll be back here at our normal schedule on New Year's Day. So don't party too late on New Year's Eve. We got church Sunday morning, so come ready to start the new year. Um, well, hey, I want to start just by praying for us. I know that this season can be hectic, and there's lots of things that can maybe be on your heart, maybe little anxieties or worries coming up. And so I just want to begin with praying, and then we're going to jump into our theme for today. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you this morning asking for your mercy. We come before you this morning knowing that we don't measure up, that we do worry that we are filled often with anxiety, and even in this season it becomes heightened and We're not proud maybe of the way that we've talked this week or acted this week with those we love, but Jesus, we know that when we come before you with humility and repentance that you meet us with grace. And this morning as we look at this Advent theme of love, would you fill us with your love, which apart from we don't really know how to love well. So come Holy Spirit, use the words that you inspired to illuminate our hearts and our lives. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are currently in the season of Advent, uh, which means Christ's arriving or his coming. It's We're celebrating his first coming and we're looking forward to his second coming. And over the past few weeks, we've looked at several of the major Advent themes. We've looked at hope, joy, and peace. And it's really easy in the holiday season to lose sight of all these, isn't it? They, they quickly fade, and we can get caught up in the chaos of our culture's thin holiday cheer. And I was so encouraged these past few weeks by Pastor Rick and Pastor Jordan, as they've done a great job of taking us back to the true source of these things, of hope, joy, and peace, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're closing out our Advent series with the theme of love. Love in the Christian faith is one of the enduring virtues. It's perhaps the highest calling of the Christian. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And even in our culture... As chaotic as it is, there is this residual longing and expectation of love, right? And, and around Christmas time, there's kind of this generic 
unspoken assumption that, hey, we should love more, that love is in the air, if you will, that generosity is in the air, right? Maybe you're driving out looking at Christmas lights right around Christmas time and your kids start arguing in the backseat of the car. What might you say to them? You might say something like this. You might say, kids, can you just get along? Can you just love each other? After all, it's Christmas, right? In the undisputed best Christmas movie of all time, Home Alone. <laughs> I, I, was, I was expecting amens there, but um, we see this play out as Kevin McAllister's mom is stuck at the airport in Scranton, Pennsylvania, desperately trying to get home to see her uh, eight-year-old son who she left at home, but he's surprisingly crafty and violent and is taking care of himself, but that's beside the point. And there's this scene at the airport where after his mom has just started, uh, just kind of railed on the, uh, the, the airport uh, worker that a character named Gus Malinsky, played by John Candy, the, the polka king of the Midwest, approaches her. He hears about her need to get to Chicago and get back home, and he offers to give her a ride in his U-Haul with his polka band. And when she asks him, why would you do this? Why would you offer me this ride? I'm a stranger. He says, hey, it's Christmas time, right? There's this lingering expectation in the air in our culture of at Christmas, we, we love and we do good and we, we want to, to do that. Last week, Jordan talked about this idea that in the West, Christianity is the air that we breathe. Right? There's these lingering values in our culture, these assumptions and goals and values that have shaped us as a people, but now they've kind of been cut off from the stem, from the root which they were founded in, and there's these, they're just kind of these uh, floating blooms, if you will. And around Christmas, we, we see this in our culture. We see this lingering notion that we should love one another, that we should come together that perhaps this is the holiday where we should remember the greatest virtue of love. It's in our movie plots. It's on our lighting decor. It's on the gift bags from the places we shop. It's even luring us to the department stores in the advertisements we watch. But a flower, a bloom disconnected from its stem, from its base, quickly withers and as much as we long for in our culture what we say with our Christmas lights and what we attempt to show with our Christmas gifts and what we watch and feel with uh, warmth on the big screen, the lingering ideas of love in our culture are thin and they're fleeting and they're without basis. They're, about, they're without rooting in something of true substance. There's an incompleteness in our cultural attempts to love, an inability to see it through. You see, we live in a culture where love is increasingly undefined. It's abstract. It's anything but substantial. There are slogans that we throw around like, love is love, and by the way, what does that even mean? You can't. Anyways, we, we, we say on the one hand, we love our kids and we love our cheese pizza, we are told through every ad that if we love someone, that the best way to, to show them that we love them is to buy them this very expensive gift. And on the other hand, we're told that if someone really loves us, they're going to get us everything on our wish list. And that's how we receive love. 
You see, many of the characteristics of love still linger. They're still there. They're st- we're still going through some of the motions. We sacrifice. We commit. We imitate many of these acts of love. But when love is cut off from its divine source, from its divine life, it's corrupted and it's incomplete. It's what St. Augustine calls disordered love. In 1 John, John describes something similar as he talks about worldly love. Look at what he says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. He says, Do not love the world or the things of, in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do you see in this passage some of the attributes of thin love? Worldly love, we read, is fading fast. It's the bloom that's quickly dying, severed from the stem Worldly love is consumption of creation apart from communion and union with God. It's trying to do what we were made for, which is indeed love, an interior affection that leads to outward actions. It's trying to do this and mimic this, but completely cut off from and separated from the source of love, which is the Trinity itself. Let me give you an image to kind of help hopefully help, maybe it won't help. Um, Let's imagine that we were to put a line down the middle of this room, okay, and we put a line down the middle, and then we build a wall that goes all the way to the ceiling. It's a nice thick wall. We can't hear it, you know, so you people over here can't hear these people over here. It's thick, and it's sturdy, and it's nice, and and let's just say on this side of the wall uh, is the physical reality that God created, right? The physical things, the things we can touch, taste, and smell, and that's over here. Um, And I'm not making any statements about the people on either side, like you guys are material, you guys are spiritual, just pretend you're not here, right? Um, And on on this side of the wall, we have the spiritual realm, the place where, where God dwells. We know that God is spirit. He does not have a body like man. He dwells in the heavenly places. And in the spiritual realm, we, we know that this is where Jesus currently resides. The resurrected Jesus who was fully embodied in a resurrection materiality from, came into the, the material world, but now he's residing at the right hand of the Father in the spiritual realm, right? And so there's these two realms. And, and worldly love really attempts to try to fill the longing and expectation for love disconnected and walled off from its spiritual source from its divine connection and union. It looks only within the boundaries of what it can see, touch, taste, sense, smell, what is only of the flesh, what is only the pride of the eyes for love. That's why it's fleeting. It's why it's unsubstantial to give us what we long for. Because while we are indeed certainly partly material creatures, I mean, I think I'm looking at you, you're material We are not only material creatures. In fact, God created us as a sort of middle creature, a creature that is both spirit and body, so that we could be ultimately priests. We could could house the divine 
presence of God and make manifest in the physical world what is hidden in God. That was part of our creation, but sin and separation has erected a wall that has cut us off from the hidden and invisible love of God. You see, worldly love then, when only lived in this side of the wall, devolves into a sort of lust. Spiritually empty and longing people, we seek to use people, places, and things to fill the emptiness in us. And when disconnected from the spiritual life of God, these created things become merely uh, an appetizer that quickly is consumed and then it's done. And there's no life there. They leave us looking like fools that think that shiny new object that somehow mysteriously perfectly popped up in our feed on Facebook is going is to make us okay. You see, the very real longings in us, the expectations we have, the longing to love and be loved, when disconnected from their source, leave us hungry. They lead our hearts to fashion lovers out of the stupidest things. I don't know if you uh, remember some of the old Looney Tunes, uh, which... I think that's okay to mention now. I know there's some issues with Looney Tunes. Anyways, um, there, at least in old movies, old cartoons, there was this idea that I have, maybe it's just me, that whenever someone was in the desert, uh, when they were, you know, when they were uh, hungry and starving, what would happen? They would start to see things, right? I know there's at least one Looney Tune where this happens. And they would imagine like they'd be starving, they'd see this steak dinner with a big glass of water. Somebody's amen in that, so I'm glad I'm not crazy. Um, <laughs> And, and, and there would be this mirage and be like, oh, you know, oh my goodness, I'm going to eat. And then they get there and they kind of be like, woof, it, it's nothing, right? I always wonder if that happens in real life. I don't know. Someone who's like into that stuff, let me know if that happens in real life someday. I, I need to know that. But, but there, when we're empty, we, we, we tend to make and project these things we long for onto, uh, uh, and they're not real. They're just mirages. And that's kind of what happens when we cut ourselves off from the divine life of God, when we're just operating in this. We kind of make our hearts tend to fashion idols and, and projections onto people and things, and we think, oh, this is going to be it. This relationship or this watch or this experience or this job, and, and in the end, it be, proves to be a mirage. And this kind of empty, thin, worldly love that mimics love but lacks its substance is on full display in the Christmas season of our culture. And look, I'm not, up here, I'm not here to, to rail on Christmas today or to bat, you know, you, you know I, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to warn us and remind us a bit of real love. You see, it's easy to get carried away in this season of a thin Christmas love that promises big things for us, but it leaves us empty. It leaves us feeling icky, maybe feeling fake, maybe sometimes feeling spoiled and disappointed and lied to and confused like we were drifting without an anchor, like we thought this experience of our family coming over and, and the perfect dinner would be good, but we ended up arguing and, and it wasn't good. And then all of a sudden, we're just like, I don't even know. I don't even know what's going on. It leaves us feeling shame and guilt. We see this in kids sometimes when they build up the season so much and, and Santa or whatever, you know, I uh, won't get into that, is, is and then they, they unwrap all the presents around the tree and they eat, eat all the food and then, and then 
kind of what's the question? Is that it? Is there something more? We even see it in our kids. They feel this, and they don't know what to do with it. You see, the warning to not love the world doesn't mean that we hate creation and somehow we fly over the wall and become spiritual people who have disregard and disgust for materiality and material things. But it does mean that we cannot live as merely physical creatures, putting hope in only what's over here, looking on this side of the wall for love. You see, God made you as a creature that longs for a transcendent love, and yet sin has left us continually settling for what quickly fades. In our spiritual deadness, we could only know of one side and look for solutions from a limited resource of what we see in the material world. And we've been desperately trying ever since the fall to manufacture some love substitute for divine love. Too weak to break through the wall, too rebellious, honestly, to even try. Left with thin love, disorder abounds, chaos ensues. We look to the shine and the mirage, but like a Christmas tree ornament, there's nothing inside. It's empty. But Advent, in the story that we've been recounting week after week, tells us something hopeful about love, something substantial and life-giving. It says that when we couldn't make our way back home, in fact, when we wouldn't even think of going home, when we couldn't cross the chasm in the wall that divides us, when we wanted and longed for love, but all we could do is imitate it and come up with empty, fleeting things, that love came to us. Look at 1 John 4, 9 through 10. It says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he had loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I love this. God manifests his love to us by sending his son into the world. Now think about this for a moment. It's not that Jesus decided in, in flashy, and he could have done this, I guess. He could do what he wants. Um, glory to come in from the sky and just impress us with this, you know, as this super spiritual logos or, or you know, amazing God that he is. The beauty of how God enters in is that he becomes fully like us. He comes born as a baby, wrapped in human flesh, becoming fully like you and me, right? That's why we can't say, God, we're not Gnostics. We're not saying, let's fly away from the material world. God came into us fully material, fully human. The divine word, the Son of God, was born on this side of the wall. Why? To love us to life through his death. To show us and define for us who long for love and desperately need it what love is. To show us who we really are, what we were really meant to be, loved us so that we may love 
to fill us up so that we might pour out, to animate and recreate us with his life-giving spirit so that we might manifest and display the divine glory of God here on earth. Jesus came so that we who were sinners could be reunited to our homeland and so that in this present life, we could return to our calling as priests who inhabit the presence of God and make it manifest in the physical world. God's hope for creation, to manifest the hidden beauty and glory of God in the real world. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You see, Jesus came, born as a baby, to pull us back into the way we were made for, the way of love. We don't know love. We kind of know love, right? It's not that we're totally ignorant of it. It's not that we don't have the weights to mimic it, but we really lack it. We really need it. We really, when we try to just operate over here, we get exhausted and we run out of steam and we can't follow through. We lack the substance. But he came to show us the very heart of love. You know, this is quite the contrast from our culture's undefined, abstract, kind of aloof feeling of love. God says, if you want to know love, if you want to see what's in my heart, right? Because love isn't just outward. It is an interior affection. If you want to see my affection, look at the cross and look at what I, how I loved you. Not because you were worthy or not because you were lovely. In fact, you were quite rebellious and, and maybe just apathetic towards me. Love is known as we look to the cross of Jesus. There is the heart of God for us. See, from the moment we were cut off, from the moment the wall was erected because of sin, in fact, even before, God's heart and his affection was love. And real love, love that is substantial, love that is of divine nature, must take shape. It must be manifest. And it's manifested in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You want to see love, you want to define love, start there. And so what do we do with this love? Well, we certainly receive it. We trust it. We take it to the top of our love list and order it rightly where it should be right at number one so that everything else, all the chaos below, could be rightly sorted out, sorted out right? This is really the point of, of 1 John. Beloved, if Christ has loved us, what do we do with it? We love one another. We manifest, we make complete what God has done as we bring it into our hearts and into our world. 1 John 3, 17 through 18 says this, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? 
Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, God's love is not just an interior affection or some generic floating feeling. It's something in the heart, yes, but it's something that's made manifest in sacrificial giving of oneself. And John, his whole, really his whole letter, the point of this letter is to say, hey, beloved church, if you have been so loved, if you've received the divine love of God, if you've been reunited and vivified by his presence, then we too should love one another. You're no longer empty, so you're no longer having to just look over here on this side and try to use people and places and things to fill your heart because you've been vitally connected to the source of love itself. You are united with Christ by faith. Therefore, you're free to love. You're free to walk how God created you to live. You see, real love, John says in his letter, is verified and made manifest through our actions. We can know that we're running on kind of a love substitute whenever we, we, can't, we don't make it manifest, whenever it doesn't change anything. You know, there's ideas about God that if they don't translate into loving others, Paul would actually say they're kind of worthless. But when we've rubbed up against the real presence of God, it manifests in our actions. Not perfectly, but as we've received him and we understand his grace, it begins to take shape in the way we talk, in the way we treat people, in the way we respond to people, in the way we act towards those who wrong us. Paul would even say, and Jesus would say, even our enemies, the way we relate to them changes when we encounter divine love. You see, when we encounter the real love of God in Christ, when we receive it, we're freed to love that problematic family member. <laughs> You're free to be kind, to return a kind word to someone who gives you a harsh word. You're free to be a listening presence. Maybe normally you tune out because you don't want anything to do with crazy Uncle Tom. Uh, no offense if you have an Uncle Tom. Um, but now you listen and, and you care for him. You're free to stop and give that person or neighbor in need that you see and you notice provision, even maybe if it costs you sacrificially because Christ has sacrificed for you. You're free to forgive that person in your life who you feel has not appreciated you as they ought, and maybe they've even said some things that have rubbed you long, but you can let them off the hook because Christ has let you off the hook. Doesn't mean we don't heal the relationship and seek reconciliation, but it means the substance and power for that is there. You're not empty anymore. You're free to continue to care for and be patient with that child that has got you at their wit's end. <laughs> Maybe more seriously, they've been in a season of rebellion and struggles, and you just are at the end of it. You have no more resources in yourself. You are seated with Christ. You're filled with the Father's love. You're able to continue loving. See, we don't live just here. We do live here but we're also vitally connected here. And divine love empowers us to make manifest that cross-centered love that Jesus gave to us. You know, that's why we're here as the church. 
so that we could make known to the world and to all the spiritual beings, and we, we talk about that another day, the, the manifest glory of God. So that we could declare, not just with kind of internal fuzziness, that, that's a part, but with our actions and our deeds, in truth, the love of God. And this holiday season in this next week or the next week when you go see family or you're getting extra time with your kids or you're going to ha- hang out with neighbors because the weather's 80 degrees on Christmas Day. Actually, it's not it's supposed to be cold, but you know, it's been there before. You are not empty, but you've been filled with the Father's love. And we can make manifest. We can, brothers, love Brothers and sisters, love because we have been loved by Christ. I want to close by reading 1 Corinthians 13 over you. I know you've heard this at every wedding uh, that's ever been, but it really is a beautiful passage. And I just want us to think on this and, and ask the Spirit to help us embody this. I invite you just to close your eyes too and listen. Um, it's not going to be on the screen either, so just listen to this. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver my body up to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. It love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they're going to cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face, (laughs) the walls coming fully down. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful that you've crossed into our world. Even though in the garden there was a a wall that was erected, but you in your long suffering and patience have bore with us and you've entered our world in Jesus. And not only did you come near to us, but you died for us. And when you raised to life Jesus, you poured out your life-giving spirit into your church, to us, to those who believe, to those who come to you by faith. And this morning, I pray that maybe those who are feeling dry or weary or tired, that you would once again pour out the love of the Father into their hearts. 
Remind us of our connection to you, that we are your beloved sons and daughters. Empower us to love our neighbor, our family, our spouse, even, Lord, our enemies. Let us be a people who love deeply from the depths of our heart to every action we take. May we be animated by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.